Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. Although, once again, we won't be doing much previewing today as we have five matches to work our way through, consisting of the games in the Champions League and Europa League, which involved French teams this week. PSG had the chance to put things right on match day two as they travelled away to Turkish champions Istanbul Basashikir. Rennes were also on the road as they all, they had the honour of gracing the pitch at Sevilla's Estadio Ramon Sanchez-Pizuan. Christophe Galtier's Lille were the home side as they welcomed Celtic to the Stade Pierre Marois and Nice were looking to get off the mark against Israeli side Hapwell Beersheba. However, I want to start with Marseille. They're the only French side to have ever won the Champions League or European Cup, so with them back in the competition for the first time since 2013, history was always going to have its eye on them as they entered this year's tournament. Although it hasn't been the welcome back party that they expected so far as they lost 1-0 to Olympiacos on match day one, and another loss was waiting for them on match day two as Manchester City wiped the floor with Les Olympiennes winning 3-0. I have Thomas Wiseman and Eric Devin with me with me here tonight. And Eric, it truly was a, a bit of a whitewash, this one, wasn't it, Marcy, losing 3-0 to City? Yeah, I guess you could say that uh, Andre Villas-Bosch, uh, our, our Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola. Um, <laughs> and by, by that I mean, you know, playing an experimental system, um, playing players in somewhat unfamiliar roles, and, uh, you know, getting getting undone by it. I, I think that uh, playing this 5-2, 1-2, I don't really know what I would call it. Um, you know, Marseille did not look sharp at all. Um, and I think that um, the decision to play that system, I understand that you've got Amavi and Sakai that you want to release and, and get forward and use that pace to uh, attack uh, City down the flanks. That's something that we saw Leon do to great effect over the summer. I get that aspect of it, but I, I think that in playing that way, you're you're setting out aside the strip of creativity by and large. Um, you're getting a team that lacks a focal point attack. I know Benedetto has been poor form wise, but in starting Tolvan and, and Radonjic, um, I think that there was a lot lacking there in terms of a, a proven finisher. Um, yeah, just a really bizarre and frustrating tactical situation now I, again i know that marseille don't really have much in the way of options i mean we have we obviously dimitri paye was sort of the elephant in the room and his at in terms of his absence you had benedetto as well but uh, morgan sanson luis enrique um i think that there were definitely some questionable choices here both in terms of starting 11 and substitution patterns that really left uh, marseille without a chance before this match even really even got going yeah, so Eric, with this game, because I know Andrew Villas-Boas was, was talking about it and, and he liked to point out the financial gulf between the teams more than the tactical decisions that were made. And we're going to come on to the financial gulf between the teams in just a moment. But tactically, do you think there was also mistakes made by Villas-Boas? You know, he tried to make out as if, you know, it wasn't really my issues why we lost this game. It wasn't really decisions that I made the losses this game. It was more that they have fantastic players and they have fantastic finance backing them up. What did you think about that with the game and how they set up? Was it a bit of a, just the wrong way to approach this type of match? Yeah. I mean, I, I get that they, they want pace um, and they want, 
and they on the flanks, and that's that is that has been proven time and again is being the way to get at City. But it's fine to play that way, and I, I understand again. You know, you have Amavi who maybe was the best player for Marseille in terms of going forward. Um, and you know, the results there are to to get him and Sakai in free roles. But again, it's clear that in doing this on such a short on such short notice, it really left uh, Marseille without much in the way of familiarity with the situation. Um, and I think that in terms of position, positioning, they were poor. Uh, Coletta Char had a, a, you know, a pretty poor match uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think uncharacteristically so. I think that he had some wobbles to start when he arrived at Marseille, but he's generally been a fairly solid player under VS Bullish. And I think that uh, factoring that in is, you know, no small source of concern that it's clear that the players to some degree were as confused, were, were quite confused as to exactly what their roles were in this system. So bearing that in mind, especially, I think, yeah, VS Bose has to, sh- again, getting your results, no matter what the tactics were, would have been a surprise. But uh, to get it so badly wrong, I think the, the degree of the loss has to rest <clears throat> squarely on the shoulders of VS Bosch. Because you look at the result with it finishing 3-0 and, you know, when we saw the lineups come out at the start of the game, you've already said it, you know, it was different. It was something that we hadn't always seen, you know, and then you look at the, the bench and the players that are sitting there with Dimitri Paye, Dario Benedetto. I know the latter hasn't been fantastic recently, but we saw his quality last season. Papi Gay wasn't involved. Kevin Strutman wasn't involved. Morgan Sanson was on the bench. Valère Germain, even, you know, I know he's not played a massive part recently for Marseille, but he's still a player who's shown in the past his quality. You know, you look at that bench and go, why aren't at least two or three of those players involved in this for their biggest match against Manchester City at home? You know, a game where, if we're talking romantically, everything was set up for an absolute upset to happen, you know, with them coming back into the Champions League at home to such a large side. Yeah, um, you know, Sanson especially, I, I think if, if we're looking at the players that are playing that box-to-box role, we think of Kamara sitting a bit deeper, uh, you know, and you've got Rangier and Cuisance around him. I would have I would have rather had Sanson starting in, uh, in, place of, in place of Cuisance. I know that, you know, perhaps Sanson isn't uh, as flashy as Cuisance, but he he did, I want to say, lead the league in assists three or four years ago. He, he definitely has a creative uh, side to his game, and I think that that's something that shouldn't be discounted um, in considering um, his potential effect on the game and and why it was left until relatively late to bring him on also didn't seem to make sense to me. So, you know, were this me, I, I would have rather have seen a 4-2-3-1, um, you know, perhaps with Talvan playing um, wide on the left and, and Radonjic playing as the striker. I know we've talked about... Um, the sort of foibles of, of Dario Benedetto to start, but I think that uh, if you had Radonjic playing as a striker, uh, you could you would have had someone who has pace and can drag players out of position, and then uh, and then you would have Paye on the right, Cuisance as a number ten, and then uh, probably Camera and and um, Sanson as your midfield too, and that would also allow the rest of the players to play uh, in, in the same relation to each other again. I think that Kaletachar had a bad match because he's not used to being on the left of a back three. He's used to being on the left of a two alongside Alvaro Gonzalez. And I think that showed. I, I think that 
again, there's quick time, there's quick turnaround time here uh, between going between the, going between the league and uh, European competition. And for, um, pardon me, for um, Bias Bush to try a new system so quickly um, seems a seems a, a bold gambit, and it's one that clearly backfired. Okay, Thomas Wiseman, I'm going to start with a, I've got a little quiz for you, a little, little question to start out with you. So if you look at the two teams and the, and the money that has been paid on those sides, you know, the, the sheer transfer fees on the two starting 11s in this game, if I tell you that Manchester City's was £430 million, can you guess how much Marseille's starting 11 was? Looking at that a team with Radonjic, Toan, Kamara, Balerdi, Gonzalez, all involved how much do you think that starting 11 was purchased for maybe 60 oh my god are you cheating have you seen my notes Is what's going on 60? here 65.7 oh, million pounds that's a good guess i thought that's actually very good to not expect <laughs> that so compare that to you know the hundreds of millions of pounds that have been spent on Manchester City. You know sometimes in football, some people say it's a bit of a weak argument to just go, oh you know, but we've not got as money as much money as you, so we lost. You know some people go, oh, it's eleven versus eleven. You know that's what my dad always says. I hate that crap when he says it. <laughs> uh, but you know that's the kind of stuff that some people say. When you look at the two teams, do you really see hundreds of millions of pounds of difference in quality uh, in the two like starting elevens? You know. I mean, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think coming into the, the the Champions League, we knew that this was going to be an issue for Marseille, not just because of the quality in the team, but the the lack of the lack of depth they've they've had in their squad for quite a few years now. Um, I'm trying to think how many fullbacks do they have: Amave, Sakai, Nagatomo, Nagatomo, uh... and that's it. Is it? Bunisar's away, yeah. Bunisar went to to Bayern Munich, so yeah. Okay. Even as that, um, for that as an example, just shows that they don't really have a a squad to play in the Champions League as well as as Liga. Um. So, but in terms of quality between the two teams, yeah, it's 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 super obvious, super obvious. Hmm. So with this, you know, Marcy lost the first match 1-0, they go on and lose this one 3-0. I know, Thomas, you weren't on the show last week, but Eric and I were talking about where do Marcy go from this? You know, do they look at the Champions League as an opportunity that's something they should still go for, you know, still try and either get into the, the next phase of it or try and get into the Europa League? Or do they go... We're at the bottom of the table now. We've got zero points after two games. We've conceded four goals. Should we just give up on this? You know, it's been a nice run, but we just focus on the league. What do you think, Thomas? How how should Marseille approach the rest of the competition? Remember, they're only two games in, two of six games into this group stage. Yeah, um, it's it's difficult, really, because I don't want to be too negative, but they've not been particularly good in the league this year so far. Um, and I'm honestly not sure they. I mean, what, what have they got? They've already played Olympiacos, haven't they? So they've got Porto yeah. as well, and then all the other return games. Yeah, I'm honestly not sure. I don't want to be too negative, but I don't really see him getting out of the. Don't see him getting out of the group really at the moment. Um, and I'm not sure they they qualify for Europa League because they've got. I, I guess they should just probably focus on 
I'm performing better in in league because they don't have they just don't have the squad. Even if they were in the Europa League, they don't have the squad to perform uh, in both competitions. Because mm. you can you can see you know they've not been stellar in league. I mean they're sitting fourth at the moment, but there have been some shaky moments. Uh, so they have to kind of choose one where they really should focus on it, or they could get caught in that kind of limbo where you go, are we focusing on this tournament? Are we focusing on that tournament? And then you finish up finishing eighth and bottom of your group or something, you know, and, and you don't want that season to happen, Thomas. You know, so do, do you think now's the kind of time to make a decision of what they're going to concentrate on? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I think it was already, well, as far as I'm concerned, it was already made at the start of the season, to be fair. Well, I would have made it at the start of the season. Mm. Um, but you obviously don't want to be too negative, but the way they've played so far, it, it's not um, it's not positive. Mm, not positive. Mm. Uh, okay, so with that finishing up, uh, Marcia are bottom at the moment of Group C with zero points and four goals conceded, zero scored. Their next match will be up against Porto and then they have all the return fixtures with Olympiacos and Man City and whatnot. And it remains to be seen if they can get out of that group or if they're even really focusing and trying to get out of that group. We'll have to see what will happen with Andre Villas-Boas and his men. Uh, the second game we're going to move on to is Lille against Celtic. This one finished 2-2. Mohamed El Yunusi on loan from Southampton uh, got two goals from for Celtic. The first one an absolute peach into the far corner. Uh, and then in the second half, Christophe Geltier's men came out with a bit more purpose and a bit more drive, you could say. Zeki Celik and Jonathan Ikone getting the goals. Uh, and Thomas, looking at this game as a whole, Will they look at this match and go, okay, we were 2-0 down at half-time, we're glad to get a point out of it, or should they go, no, we're a good team going for the league in Ligue 1, we're we're unbeaten this season, we've not conceded two goals to any team so far, should they look at that result and go, that was extremely disappointing with with what their expectations would have been at the start of the game, Thomas? Yeah, I think obviously that because they were 2-0 down, it's, it's, it's obviously nice for them to come back and, and at least secure a point. But the way, the difference in the halves between how they played in the first half and the second half was quite stark. Especially, obviously, it was a good goal by Elianusi, but it was given away, port, like, it was very sloppy by um, Celic. Um, and they, they, just, they were the much better side in the second half. And they would have been upset. There was, there was just one or two sort of decisions in in sort of the final third that could they could have turned it around and made it 3-2 but it just wasn't there especially on of course Jonathan David missed a, a penalty as well so that that really doesn't help so I think mm. it probably it would be two points dropped I'd say more than more than a point gained it was good that they, they fought back and, and and got at least a point but I think they would have been upset Jonathan David as you mentioned there he missed a penalty uh, in this one towards the tail end of the first half you know he's been a player that so much has been talked about him since he's coming over from Belgium the 20 year old striker who had you know a big transfer fee put in his head which is tough for any young player 24 million pounds he's not really hit the ground running he's some people have said that he's turning into a, a, an early contender for the flop of the season, the transfer flop of the season. Eric, another opportunity here to score. You know, you can't say that he's not had them this season, and he flunked it. Does he need a hug? Need a hug? Um, I, I don't. I don't know what he needs, but I, it's clear that he's uh, he's struggling. Um, 
at Lille, and it's it's frustrating to see. I mean, he's obviously a talented player. I, I've talked ad nauseum about how he is being misused tactically, um, and I th- still think that, that needs to be addressed. But I but the issue then is that <clears throat> if Christophe Galtier has a system which works so well uh, for the other players in the team, well then at what point does uh, getting the best out of David become uh, something that he needs to take into consideration? Um, and I think that's really where we're at right now and, and what he needs to address. I mean, you know, is it possible that he goes out on loan in the second half of the season? I know that sounds unbelievable, but that could be an option that I think could perhaps get things into a little bit of a better situation for him. Um you know, I don't know, maybe a club like Mess who, who you know, don't have um, as many options uh, in attack as, as they had anticipated in starting the season. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's a frustrating situation. He's undoubtedly a talented player, but hasn't been used properly. And um, I think that in combination with the adjustments he's clearly going through uh, have really sapped his confidence and it, it shows um in the performances he's been delivering on the pitch, uh, there were flickers here and there. I think the win over Nantes, he played all right. Um, but I, I think that those flickers, as it were, are becoming uh, increasingly infrequent. And yeah, it, it really is problematic. And Thomas Wiseman, David was brought into the squad to essentially replace us men. You know, a, a young striker out, a young striker in. On paper, uh, it seemed like an okay swap, you know, with us going over to Italy and David coming in from Belgium after scoring an absolute boatload of goals. But I've seen Lille describe this season as toothless in, in some senses, you know, in terms of their out-and-out strikers when you look at it you know if you do look at that kind of that kind of cliche of your out-and-out striker who have they got they've got Burak Yelmaz okay he's been great he's been great yeah he's been fantastic 35 year old's been really impressive actually um but then you look elsewhere who else plays at that number nine position even as Eric was saying Jonathan David isn't really that out-and-out number nine that out-and-out striker that they've got so if he's not performing Burak Yelmaz has been great but you don't know if that's going to tail off at some point do you look at their attacking options with you know the amount of strikers they've got the lack of it and go that's a quite light attack actually when you think about it and when they're going to be playing in the Europa League they need a bit more firepower up there. They've not actually got loads of real strikers in the team. And do you think that could go on to hurt them later on in the campaign? I think possibly. Um, but obviously, as as Eric has mentioned previously, you know, Jordan Dedi isn't really a, an out-and-out striker like, or a point man like like Asimhen was, um, who is more somebody that plays that plays deep up. But when I think of a player at Lille that I want playing behind the striker, um like we sort of saw today, um, Yazishi was, well, since he's come back, he's been really good. And he's a really tidy player. Um, and he, he sort of pops up in between lines on occasions. So it's, it's I think the, the poor performances from David are, are um, not a great sign at the moment. It is, I think we keep, we'll keep saying it is early on um, until something happens, whether they loan him out or not. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a tricky situation. 
Eric, what do you think about that? You know, their real lack of a out-and-out striker this season outside of Yilmaz. Do you think that could really hamstring them later on in the season if they don't get consistent goals from midfield? Yeah, I think that it was no coincidence, for example, that today that both of the goals were scored after Yilmaz came on. You know, I was reminded actually in, in watching the sort of the opening salvos of the match of um, France's win over Australia in the 2018 World Cup, a match in which uh, Didier Deschamps notably did not start Olivier Giroud. He started, um, uh, would have been Dembele, Griezmann, and Mbappe. Um, and the results were, were there. So you had all of David, Bamba, Yazici, and Akone, uh, all of whom are, you know, again, good, solid players. Uh, but uh, I think that, you know, without a focal point, this offense really falters. And I, it's something that I, I, I wrote a column in The Guardian, I want to say last season, maybe even the season before, um, Speaking about the the brilliance, and yes, I don't use that word lightly, of um, Loic Remy. And I think having that physical focal point there, that uh, that veteran presence, that un- that player who's there to get success in a new league at a, at a later point in their career, again, not a new league for Remy, but the parallels between Yilmaz and, and Remy are, are, are manifest in this way, that they, they're they there for a reason. It's not for one last paycheck. It's to play European football. It's to be successful. And I think... Taking that into account, we have to say that um, that the team are sort of uh, going to be very, very, very reliant on Barack Yilmaz as the season goes on, unless they can get a player who can be, you know, a comparable uh, replacement for him or a comparable option. You know, were something to happen to him, and he, this is this is the thing again. You know, with the rapid fire pace of European football and the slightly compressed time frame of the French league season, these teams are going to be playing a lot of matches and we don't know how that's going to shake out uh, in terms of injuries, in terms of absences. Um, and I think that if, you know, you know, Yilmaz is, is going to sit in a box that says, you know, break in case of emergency, um, that's not a good situation for Galtier to be in. And I think that they need to, to remedy that. I know that there had been some suggestion over the summer that, <clears throat> pardon me, perhaps um, Ikone could be off in the summer. I don't know if that's something that they want to revisit in the winter window and perhaps sell him on and, and hope to bring in a you know a more typical target man in the interim. Um, but I think it's certainly food for thought, even as Lille have had a, a good start to the season. I mean, you know, we need to be cognizant, especially I think of the thought of the fact that. <clears throat> Looking at Lille, um, they are are where they are in the league because their defense. I believe they have the best defense in the league, um, or maybe maybe joint best. Um, still unbeaten, um, and I think that thinking about that, uh, we have to you know really consider, okay, what makes uh, you know what makes this team tick, and I think it's clear at this point in time that it it is it is Yilmaz and. Uh, to be so dependent on one player, I think, is a perilous situation uh, in which to be. Um, you know, given that I, I, I've been pl- pleasantly surprised by the team's depth, but they haven't really manifested that in, in a deeper sense uh, to date in, in terms of a replacement for Yilmaz. Hmm. 
Uh, and uh, just before we move on to the next match, quickly, Thomas, Real conceding two goals in this game for the first time this season. They've got Leon this weekend. Is that something they'll be looking to kind of revert back to, this solid defence that they've showed so much this season? Or did this game expose a couple of cracks that could be there, you know, with, with Chelik making a couple of mistakes throughout the match? I don't think he was that impressive, to be honest. Yeah, he did, he did get about one of the goals, but yeah, he, he, he did give up the, the first goal pretty much. Um, but the the game against Leon should be quite an, uh, an exciting one, I'd say. Um, I mean, the the last weekend Leon Leon sort of um, crumbled Monaco, um, but they'll be coming up against a much stronger defence in Lille. I don't think this this game really is um, going to start a trend in terms of their defensive performance. So it should be an exciting game actually. Looking forward to it, absolutely. So mm. after a couple games, Lille, you know, they sit second in the group in Group H behind Milan, four points from two games. Uh, next up for them in Europe, it will be an away trip to the San Siro to play Milan, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and co. Uh, we'll obviously have an episode after that game as well and we'll review how they get on there when it'll be at the halfway stage of the Europa League campaign. Let's move on to PSG, they had a 2-0 win uh, in Turkey against Istanbul, Basa Shakir. Moise Keane getting two goals. He recently joined on loan from Everton. And Eric Mbappe getting two assists, Keane getting two goals. Could that be an interesting young strike partnership to build over the next few months of the season, Eric? I mean, it's going to have to be if you've got... uh... Neymar out now uh, with a thigh injury. Um, and, it, you know, Cardi still seems no closer to coming back. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good thing that can, that can is coming good because I think without his emergence, uh, PSG could be in real trouble. And I think looking back at this match, I mean, the other, the other thing, too, besides the downside of Neymar having been forced off, uh, PSG were really at sixes and sevens, especially in the first half hour or so. Um, you know, I think it was a lack of quality in terms of Avishka and Enzo Crivelli, an old face from Liga, um, that that told. Uh, I think that Basaksha here had quite a few chances and perhaps would have been kicking themselves that they didn't at least get one get one goal in within that first span when they were they were really impressive. Um, and I think that considering that, um, you know, PSG again probably deserved the results overall but um you know Bisakshi here had almost as many shots as PSG uh, as many shots on target um uh, and just a little bit less possession so it was again as I'll say I'll say it again really was down to a lack of quality um from the hosts that that made the difference here and I think that you know again quality is what makes a team let's not kid ourselves about that but I think that there are still definitely a lot of questions to be asked about this team um, despite the positives that we can take from the emergence of Ken or Keen. I don't know how you pronounce that. I'm still, I'm still to hear, I'm getting so many pronunciations. Ken, Keen, was it? I don't know, Keen doesn't sound right with me. I instantly think it's just Robbie Keen and uh, an Italian striker being compared to Robbie Keen. I don't know, it just seems like it, it doesn't sit right with me. Um, there was something I wanted to bring up, something that I kind of drew from this match. You know, we heard Marquinhos playing in midfield uh, for this one. And, you know, over the last few years, PSG have 
tried so hard to build up this fantastic midfield, midfield that should be, you know, wins teams, champions, leagues and gets them through Europe and whatnot. But if you look at their kind of midfield options and who's available and who's been there, uh, Ander Herrera played in this one, who's getting on a bit and was kind of rejected from United. Marquinhos had to step in from centre-half to play here. Danilo Pereira's been brought in from Porto, not absolute prestige quality. Um you know, they've had some players that have had injury issues. Leandro Paredes has been brought in to kind of fill that position. Didn't really, you know, it didn't really create sparks. Marco Verratti's had some time out with injury. Idrissa Gay is going to have some time out with injury. Do you think they're... Uh, Gay came back. He's fit again. Is he? Oh, my, my He came bad. off the bench on, on, in the week, yeah. Oh, so my bad, my bad. There's something. <laughs> there's there's something but what do you think yeah. of their management of that of their midfield though in the last few years you know when you look at it and you have to if they're consistently bringing Marquinhos out from centre half to play midfield that doesn't show in my opinion I don't think that shows fantastic long-term management over that position somewhere that they've had tried to fix many times before in the transfer market but it's never really 100% clicked Right. I, I think it is a problem. Uh, let's not mince words about it. Um, and I think that bearing that in mind, there is still something to answer for. But I also think that we should be honest about the reason that Tuchel is doing this in terms of on the pitch. Now, again, there's been a lot made of, oh, he wants to make a statement by doing this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the fact of the matter also remains is that he really views Marquinhos's reliability and metronomic qualities as being at the heartbeat of of this team. I mean, he is a player who, again, we think about his early days at PSG. We think about his play for Brazil. He is thought of as a center back, but he's also played extensively at right back uh, at Roma and occasionally at PSG. Um, I believe there was a long-term injury to Aurier in 13-14 or 14-15 where he played a handful of matches there. Um and there is even some suggestion that perhaps Aurier could be switched to left back and Marquinhos could be the, te- the team's medium-term solution at right back. So he is a versatile player who is able to get about the pitch. Um, and I think Tuchel values that reliability and and sees that as, as the right answer. I think what maybe is more problematic is the fact that the team don't have, um, don't have the, ca- the right caliber of options in terms of their, their center backs. I mean, we saw Abdou Diallo played. Uh, alongside Presnel Kempembe in this match, or sorry, Danilo Pereira, per, Danilo Pereira played alongside Kempembe in this match, um, and I think that went okay. Again, quality of the opposition is going to tell the tale here. So I think that he's more trying to make a point, uh, if anything, not about the midfield, but about um, the lack of experienced central defenders. Um, and I think that that that's that's what he's trying to say here is that. I, a, yes, I value Marquinhos. Yes, I value his reliability uh, and quality there. But um, I wasn't given a replacement for Thiago Silva. Uh, and I think that's what he's really trying to underscore here. Uh, you know, Pereira is a defensive midfielder, not a center back. You could honestly make a, a, a keeping up with the Kardashian style show about PSG and just the board and the relationships that go on, honestly, with managers making statements and people saying this and people saying that. I feel like every 20 minutes there's some drama coming out of Paris, despite the team literally just coming out of a Champions League final. I find it hilarious at times. Um, Thomas, with PSG winning this game 2-0, you know, it, it wasn't 
super easy. It wasn't an absolute whitewash. And a lot's been said last uh, last week about the defeat against Manchester United. Next week, they've got RB Leipzig, who didn't have a great game the other day. And I don't want to turn this into a big preview, but just looking at that match, with PSG not looking at their best in the, in the Champions League so far, could that be a bit of a turning point for their group stage. You know, if they win that, do they put out a little bit of a they put out a little bit of a message to the rest of the group saying, okay, I know we've not been fantastic so far, but you know, we can still get through this Champions League campaign and then make a name or not make a name for themselves, but like, you know, make a good showing of themselves. Do you think that's a great opportunity next week going away to Germany to play Leipzig? Yeah, it definitely is. I think I think probably more so with PSG than maybe other teams is the the performance they actually produce because obviously this one um, in a, um, in Turkey it they did get the win but the performance wasn't very convincing um, so a, a a win against Leipzig maybe it's just a one nil victory but if they actually really do perform well and and dominate um, gives me more confidence for for the rest of their group stage. Okay, let's move on to the next match, including a French team here, and that was Rennes as they travelled away to Spain to play Sevilla. And, and Sevilla, as a as a side, we kind of know our quality. You know, they've always shown that in the Europa League throughout the managers they've had Unai Emery and now Julian Lopetegui, the former Spain boss, is kind of strutting his stuff there and showing his quality. Rennes in this game if you purely look at it statistically, didn't have the best time. You know, they had 35% of the ball. They only had two shots compared to 23 uh, against them for Sevilla. Eric, was this almost a good lesson for Julian Stefan for them to look at maybe a team that they should try and emulate to build towards, you know, a team like Sevilla, who over the last few years, especially in this competition, have showed so much quality? Yeah, that's that's a interesting point, Lewis. I, I think that... Uh, First of all, you're missing, you know, two of your first choice uh, 11 here. You've got, um, or perhaps even three, if you have to bring Dalbert off the bench. You've got uh, Steven Nzansi suspended, Eduardo Camavinga injured. Um, you've got Amari Traore playing at left back, Brendan Suppi playing at, uh, playing at right back as a sort of stand-in for the Malian. Uh, you have Rugani forced off injured, um, and you still only lose 1-0. Um, again, a lot of that's down to offer Gomez having a blinder, but, um, I, th- I think, yeah, there is a lesson to be taken from this that, that says that, okay, you know, perhaps in terms of quality of attack and, and movement and, and ability to build play up, Ren aren't right where they need to be in terms of having been existing at a European level. Um, but in terms of individual players, you know, they're, they're starting to get there. Um, I think the, the the we had a there was a there are a lot of bright moments for Doku, for Jeremy Doku, for example, their record signing this summer. Uh, Martin Terrier looked decent as well, as did Sarah Gurassi. This is an all new front three uh, that Ren have brought all those players in this summer. Um, and there, you know, there is necessarily quite a bit of restructuring that's going on with this team. And I think, you know, were this match to have been played, say, in, in match day five, um, again, hoping if that were the case that uh, you would have Kamavenga and Zanzi back in the fold, I think this, uh, this would have looked quite a bit different. Um, so I think that, you know, just a disappointing loss, but I think it still remains, uh, you know, given that 
pardon me, Krasnodar had lost so heavily to Chelsea that, you know, Ren, if they can get a result against Chelsea, still will give themselves a chance to progress from this group. Um, and yeah, they can look towards the uh, likes of a Sevilla who've continued to buy can make canny buys uh, to mix uh, a variety of uh, youth and experience and and uh, and build from there. Um, and that's what they've been doing uh, this season. And I, I don't I think it's a it's a, it's a result against a team that has you know acres, oodles, whatever um, hyperbole you want to use of experience coming against them. And, and they had a well taken finish from De Jong and. And that, and, and that told. Um, but again, it also showed, again, like I said, that the signings they've been making this summer have by and large worked. Um, you know, Amendi going to Chelsea was looking was looking like a blow. Uh, Gomis looks, now that he's he's back and fit, looks very capable. Um, I still have some questions about Girassi, um, but I think that the arrivals of Terry Doku, uh, Dalbert, these all look good, and in Aguard, it's the team is is going to be given a chance to develop, and 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 there shouldn't be a whole lot of pressure on them. You know, I think that um, should they be able to come third and, and keep going in the Europa League, I think they could they could make a stir there. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a disappointing result, but given the absences that they had, given how callow this side is, given that some of them are still really betting in, I think this is Gomez's second or third start for the team. Um, I think it was Rugani's first or second as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that this is not a bad result at all. Um, we have to rightly look at uh, Sevilla as being, along with Chelsea, one of the two favorites to progress in this group and, and by some margin. So uh, to only lose 1-0 there um, yes. is not a, not a bad result and, again, gives some food for thought. Mm. And Thomas, going off what Eric kind of said there, just generally with Ren in Ligue 1 and, and in the Europa League and the Champions League rather, are we watching our Ren seeds in transition at the moment with the transfers they've brought in and you know the players they're trying to bed into the team, the young guys that are coming in? Are we seeing a team that maybe we shouldn't go uh, that they should be expecting to win every every match? But but then my question comes to you: When does that happen? When does that change? When do Ren make that switch going from okay, let's go to Sevilla and stop trying to get beat to let's go to Sevilla? and not concede 23 shots and actually try and get a point off them. You know, when does that change happen for this rain side? I think they definitely are still a team in transition just because of the, the incomings they've had so far. Well, um, John transfer window. But when you look at it on paper, um, they do have, you know, a reasonable amount of depth um, in their squad. I think if you look at the, the team they played against, against Sevilla, that would probably do okay in league and but obviously it's a completely different ball game in in the Champions League. Um, but I, yeah, like Eric mentioned, I don't think there's that much pressure on the on on Ren to to really blow anybody anybody away, um, especially in the Champions League. But I think it'll just take some time for. I, I don't I don't think. Um, I think Camavinga's not been he's been out of form for a, a few weeks now. Um I think some of that was due to where he's being played. I watched the game against Andre, of course. And he it seems like he's playing too far up the pitch um to really have the, the desired effect, at least for me. Um but I, yeah, I I, th- I think it's just a case of um letting some of these new signs better. Doku's been um 
always a bright spark in in games, and I'm sure he's he's had he's had a lot of talk about him um, coming into Ren. So I think it's just a it's just a, a waiting game almost. Hmm. Interesting, you know, Ren I think are a team with a lot of potential at the moment, but there there does need to be a time where you go. When is this team going to win? You know, you look at the Krasnodar game, and they should have won, but they didn't. And you know, it's like when do those when do those decisions change? When do those matches change? When does that uh, thought process going into a game change? And I think it still remains to be seen from Ren. Obviously, it's a it's a young side. As Julian Stefan said it himself, you know that they're going to learn so much from that game just played there. But it's a dream in transition, and we'll need to see how they do in the rest of this Champions League campaign. A, f- a fantastic opportunity for them. Uh, and at the end of match day two, they sit bottom of Group E with one point following that draw the week prior against FC Krasnodar from Russia. Let's move on to our final match of the episode. And this was Nice, Patrick Vieira's Nice. They hosted Hapoel Beersheva from Israel and they got a win 1-0, Amini Guiri with the goal. And Eric, a lot's been said about Nice in recent weeks and about Patrick Vieira, but was this a much more convincing performance? Performance from Les Aiglons. Uh, much more convincing. I mean, as opposed to the last <laughs> last a buyer, yes. Uh, but no, I, you know, I, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for for Vera starting to get things right tactically. Um, you've got what essentially amounts to a five-three-two. Uh, today you had uh, Claude Maurice playing behind a, a strike partnership of Joel Brook and Guiri. Uh, with with Taram sort of acting in a box to box role and Schneiderlin sitting a little bit deeper. Taram had I, I thought a pretty strong game, uh, and you had Atal and Kamara as attacking fullbacks. So you've got Kamara, who some would have was the best fullback, best left back in the league last year, and I, I wouldn't be wholly disinclined, wholly disinclined to disagree with that. Um, yeah, um, I, I think that getting this right tactically and allowing this team to sort of settle because. Between injuries, between COVID, between comings and goings, Nice have been, since the NEO's takeover, kind of in constant churn. And I think that, um, I think that yeah, I think that this team just needs to, to figure things out and, and go from there. Um, and I think that they are on their way to doing it. Uh, I think in Dolberg and Gawiri, you've got, you know, I think a, in terms of playing as a strict partnership, maybe outside of outside of Can and um, Mbappe, or, well, Icardi when fit, uh, you've got real potential there, and especially with Renan Laid coming back into the, the picture, we know um, during his best time at Angers, for example, what a talent he is. Um, you've got Claude Maurice, who also seems to be rounding into form as well. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, a deserved result, even if it was a little bit wobbly and in a somewhat bad-tempered match as well, I should add. Um, but yeah, I think Nice did what they needed to do, and this this result, combined with Leverkusen losing, uh, means they've got an excellent chance of progression, uh, provided they've got the depth to to sort of to sort of handle this. You know, again, in terms of depth, uh, Ronnie Lopes, Pierre Lismalou, um, Renai Lee, Hisham Budoi, were all on the bench today. Um, there is definitely scope to rotate. Yeah, Andy Palmard is a, is the the fourth center back, as it were, within uh, before looking at playing that back three. Um, so yeah, I think that I think that Patrick Vera is starting to get things right. Um, he's picking a system that suits the players rather than trying to shoehorn the players into a system. 
Uh, I mean, Aguirre got the goal here. You know, it was his second in the Europa League. And if you're adding up to the three goals that he's got in the league as well, that's five goals now for the season. Thomas, Leon have got to be looking at Aguirre and gone, why is he producing this at Nice? And why didn't we make the most of this player, you know? Yeah, I think we all sort of um, were surprised when they, when they did sell him. Um, especially with the some of the centre forward issues um, they've had recently, but uh, yeah, it's I think he's chipped in one one or two assists as well. But he's just been really, really good, and he's he's won these points already even early on during the season. Obviously, he scored the um, the goal in this game, so it's it's a re- I think we'll probably look back on it and, and say it was you know one of the the signings, maybe the signing of the of the summer. And he was bought for just six point three million pounds. Do you see him being the type of player that, in like a year or two's time, if he can keep up this form, he's going to be sold for twenty twenty five million pounds? Is he, is he a player with that potential at the moment, just being twenty years old? I think you're being pretty harsh on that that valuation. <laughs> I was thinking of COVID and everything. I don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the way most of these things go. But he's certainly started the season. Um, very well so uh, let's hope he stays fit Mm, Absolutely Uh, and something that Eric you pointed out uh, when you were giving your kind of analysis of the game there the midfield duo in that kind of 3-4-3-5-2-2 whatever you want to call it uh, of Turam and Schneiderlin in the midfield you know youth and experience did that work well together because Kefren Turam's a player that really interests me because he's been playing consistently in Ligue 1 for this Nice side since he's been extremely young and I've always kind of tracked how he's performed so how has he taken to the step up to Europa League quality playing alongside someone with a lot more experience than him? I think he had a decent match I think that playing alongside Schneiderlin allows him to be in a little bit more of a free role again he's not going to be as inventive on the ball or as much of a goal threat as someone like Lise Malou or Renat Laid in that role he had some nice passes. He he uh, was able to break play up as he was able to shuttle shuttle the ball. I think that yeah, he had a decent match, and I think that uh, I mean again, a team from the Israeli league. Uh, you know, let's not go too far down the road of that being a quote unquote European standard. Um, but yeah, I think by and large, uh, Kefren uh, Kefren Thuram at the age of uh, nineteen, I think he is maybe twenty. I'm nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, yeah, had a had a, had a very composed match and 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 again relying on Schneiderlin to shield shield the defense behind him um, had a, had a strong match. So I think that's what we want to see. That's that's the kind of performance that uh, against a tough and physical opponent can really boost a young player's confidence and allow them to grow from there. And now looking just at the group as a whole in Group C with Bayer Leverkusen losing to Slavia Praha, you've got to say that's a shock result, really. It opens the group right up again. All teams are on three points, you know, they've all won a match. Thomas, does that just kind of instill that confidence again in Nice? You know, when you looked at them last uh, last week after the Leverkusen game, they were bereft of confidence, you know, mm. with, with conceding so many goals. But with the group wide open again, do they have to just have to go, okay, we played solid here, we've got Slavia next week, you know, if we can win that, we've got six points and then we move from there, you know, have they got a real opportunity to do something in this group now? Yeah, like I said, that that, that win for Slavia Prague, uh, sorry, Prague, um, really opened up the group and they definitely do have a chance um, 
probably more than quite a few of the the league and teams and in their respective groups um so far so yeah it, it should be um let's see how they do next next week maybe the you know the wrestling players of the weekend they are playing Andre so it doesn't really matter but um let's uh <laughs> let's see how they do oh what's uh no love for Andre no I'm just saying that you know the, uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying you know they should rest players but uh I'd be happy if they did uh, you know, it's funny. I was Angers have what uh, two wins and a draw since since getting hammered by PSG. I think they're starting to come into their own with uh, the arrivals of Amadou and Buffal. I know that's neither here nor there, but uh, yeah, that could be a, a sleeper for a strong match this weekend. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like Buffal. I like Buffal. I always think he was underrated when he went to Southampton. So that's, I thought it was always a bit of a steal, actually, when it went back to Andre. But that'll be a good game. That'll be a very good game, Andre versus Nice. Maybe Andre can take advantage of the number of games that Nice have been playing. You would just love that, Thomas, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. Uh, okay and that's going to wrap us up if you're looking for more information on all things french football in english you can get us at the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com or you can also find us on twitter getting abuse at gffn i've been lewis mcparlin i've been joined by thomas wiseman and eric devin and thank you very much for listening to this latest gffn podcast see you later